Welcome to this week's episode of Broken Potholes with your hosts Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. Uh, with us on the line today, we're going to have him on in a few minutes, Patrick Byrne, former CEO of Overstock.com, uh, a man with a pretty impressive track record. Kind of important to note here, he's a libertarian. He did not vote for Donald Trump. Either election. In either election. He doesn't like Donald Trump at all, as a matter of fact. Did not, but we'll find out as his associations with him over this past couple months if that opinion has changed, which will be interesting to know on a personal level. I, I've heard a lot of people who have spent time with Trump have changed their mind after spending time with him, that yeah. his, his personal interactions are very different than his persona. Exactly, exactly. But I bring that up in this case because Patrick Byrne is also the author of Deep Capture, which is an Amazon.com bestseller, New York Times bestseller. Amazing that it hasn't been delisted from Amazon. Well, what's amazing is you have to actually search the name. So the easiest way to go find this book where he talks about the election and election integrity is um, basically go to deepcapture.com, and it's easier to find it there. You can find it on Amazon, <laughs> but you have to get the exact title to find it. It just doesn't pop up, but it's like in the top 30 in sales. It's unbelievable how far the left and these tech companies are going to completely silence conservative voices in every arena. They're, they're hell-bent on doing it, and I'm, like I said, I'm still surprised he's not been banned from it. Yeah, me too. And, and despite that, Deep Capture has done really, really well. It's drawn a lot of attention, and it makes a very, frankly, compelling case. So the actual title of the book, which Patrick will be talking about today, is The Deep Rig, How Election Fraud Costs Donald Trump the White House by a man who did not vote for him. And that's a perfect segue. We have Patrick Byrne on the line right now. Welcome, Patrick. Good honor to be on your show. Great to be on. Thank you so much. For, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, really fascinating read. Uh, and it's important. You you were not a Trump fan, and we were just talking about that. Has that changed as you've gotten to know him a little bit in these last few months? Well, my feelings about him changed. My feelings about him, and they got and and became much more. I, as the world knows, I spent four hours with him on December eighteenth. He's a much different man than has been presented in the press, from my experience with him. But I did. I just wanted to say, you know, I was not a, I was not a never Trumper. I felt this. You know, I I voted for Gary Johnson. I voted Libertarian for president every year since nineteen eighty eight. So voting for Trump or not was never a question for me. <laughs> But I was when he won. It wasn't like I was pulling my hair out. He was, you know, he won just like I felt like when Obama won. I didn't vote for the guy, but he won, so he's president. Buckle so, up I was and never hope for the best. Him. And we, of course, of course, and the enemies Trump made, and the the people who came out against Trump are very much people I typically despise. And so that, of course, mm. I started feeling some of the affinity for him. And then, given what happened, you know, but anyway, my point is my actions over the last five, six months have zero to do with whether I like Trump or don't like Trump. What I like a lot is the United States Constitution, and I like living in a society where that, that believes that just the government's just power derives from consent of the governed, and if we let them get away with jacking an election, then we are, we are, we are giving up the most sacred principle of our republic. Patrick, this is Chuck Warren. Um, so hey. we, you and I, uh, I, I was with you when you took on the naked shorting in Wall Street. How are there similarities to how the press and the East Coast establishment treated you during that battle versus now? If you give a little history on it, because I think they're very similar. And, um, you know, it's, you know, 
constructive demolition of certain things. And at that time, it was Wall Street. And you had thought that you had told everybody the world was flat the way they reacted to it. And, and if you could just share a little bit what you went through on that, how it, you know, what they, their attacks on you personally, and how it relates to what's going on now with this effort to educate people. Look, something's amiss here. Yeah, thank you, Chuck. Well, it was, and you were great, a key part of that battle 15 years ago. It is the case, there's an aspect of 2008 that happened that people have kind of forgotten. But uh, Alan Greenspan, when he went before Congress on that famous uh, testimony on October 23, 2008, said at the core of this, there is this issue. Now, what the issue is, it's called settlement. I don't want to get into it, but there was an issue on Wall Street that has been kind of papered over that was really the at the core of 2008, according to Greenspan. And I had been aware of it since about 2005. There was a flaw in the Wall Street settlement system. I was jumping up and down about it. Chuck, I met him. He helped me. You, you helped me open doors in Washington. What I discovered in Washington was how corrupt the Washington establishment was, that all the people you would think would care about fixing a deep systemic problem in Wall Street. No one, you know, from the SEC and FINRA to the Senate banking to House Financial Services, everyone was bought off, and the financial media. And I'm talking about I brought data, I brought whistleblowers, I brought Harvard economists who could explain all this, but no one was interested. And most importantly, the financial press came after me. And I really took, I was excoriated from 05 to 08 in the financial press because I was saying, the financial system is going to implode and because of this crack in the settlement system. And they ran photos of me with UFOs coming out of my head in the press <laughs> to show how crazy I was. Remember those days? I right? do. Oh, yeah. The UFO cartoon was amazing. Patrick, for, the, for those who aren't familiar with it, can you tell us really quickly what naked short selling is and what happened to your company? I, I, don't, I don't want to go into I don't even want to use that term, and that's a misleading and confusing term. It's not about naked short selling. and It's about something called settlement. Settlement is the process by which, when I buy stock from you, the, my, the, the process by which our money and stock changes hands is the settlement system. And there are flaws in that system that hedge funds figured out how to manipulate, and in the process they could profit while destroying companies. And at the same time, they were building up a great big pothole in the financial system. And what Greenspan pointed out was in 08, what really happened was that pothole sort of exploded on us. That was really underneath all the banking stuff and the Bernie Madoff stuff. It was this, there were trillions of dollars in our settlement system that had been looted and it exploded. So how, how the technical details of how the hedge funds exploded is one, one of those ways is called naked short selling. There's abuse of the option market maker exemption. There's all these different ways, but the technicalities don't matter. The common the thing to understand is that just like we think our voting system has a lot, until recently a lot of people believe that our voting system had had integrity and one man, one vote and all that stuff, and people didn't understand how much slop there really is in the counting. Well, the same was true of Wall Street. People don't really understand quite how sloppy under the hood everything really runs on Wall Street, and that creates problems. So, But the way that the press went after me and the government went after me on things that I was 100% certain about and proved correct about, and the press later came out and acknowledged I was correct. Uh, I thought I would never see anyone go through something like that again in my lifetime. I remember I was once walking across the Stanford campus with the president, President Kennedy, and Justice O'Connor. And I forget who it was, it was either him or Justice O'Connor who said, 
Patrick, I wasn't sure about whether you were right or not in your criticisms of Wall Street until I read that story last week in the New York Times about you by Joe Nocera. It was so yellow. It was so, it was like out of the 19th century. I'm sure you have to be onto something because I've never seen press like this. Well, I thought no one would ever get abused like I was until Donald Trump came along. And as president, he stood up to such a torrent of abuse that that's when I started to really developing some affection for him. Because I realized, I thought no one would ever go through what I went through. And here was this 70-year-old man, 74-year-old man, taking it on the chin, and he kept going. So I did start developing real affection and admiration for him uh, uh, over the course of his presidency, in part because of the, that, that kind of attack. But then, I mean, now I see it was all what I went through was has it was a microcosm of what's going on now with the election, uh, with Trump and the election. It, where... was, it was practice for these guys, essentially. They they had a chance to practice on people like you for gearing up to take out someone like Trump. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, they, they, they should be ashamed of themselves as journalists. They're not even, you know, a lot of these, well, not a lot of them are smart, but some of them are smart. They're smart enough to know what intellectual honesty is. They know that they're not being intellectually honest. They know... I've had journalists who've dealt with me for years, who've had me on dozens of times, who've told me the word came down in October, we cannot ever have you on again, Patrick. And I've just gotten frozen out of the mainstream press. And they know, you know, I wonder how they, well, they know that they're not just being, that they're being intellectually dishonest now about the election. I mean, the establishment, well, the fact that they're making it forbidden to even discuss these topics, they're trying to say you're a, you know, you're a white supremacist or an extremist if you have any questions. You know, the same people who tied up the country for four years on the grounds of a investigation that was based on a fake dossier that Hillary Clinton paid for, and yet they tied up the, the country for four years, are now saying, you know, 50 days after the election, hey, no, that's all done and settled, and we've looked at everything, and there's no fraud there, and anyone who raises it is a, an extreme, is a domestic terrorist. It's absurd. Well, it's the same partisan coalition that after 2016, two-thirds of Democrats felt the election was stolen by Russia. I mean, two-thirds of Democrats felt the election was stolen by Russia. For which there was absolutely zero evidence, and which there was not only was there zero evidence when, uh, you know, although Clapper and these kind of guys went on television and said, oh, we have grave concerns that this was Russia, it was great when they all got, when Schiff brought them into the House a year, well, a year and a half ago, and put them under oath, and you know, and made the testimony secret, but it got released. And Fifty-three people in a row said, uh, when asked, "Did you have any any evidence at all that it was Russia?" Fifty-three of them in a row said, "Well, actually, we didn't really have any evidence." But to your point, Patrick, about what the press has done, I talk to my friends all the time on the East Coast, and and some of the friends I have still in California. And if you ask them, there is zero doubt in their minds because of the way it was presented and then the, you know, the in the dark retractions. Russia colluded with Trump in the first election. They still believe that 100 percent. No question. Second, they have absolutely no no knowledge of, for instance, the Hunter Biden laptop. I mean, the news is having a real effect on limiting what people are seeing and guiding these really major national policies on fraud. I mean, it, 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 is, it is journalistic fraud. We're talking election well, fraud, but... Talking about keeping the Hunter, the Hunter Biden laptop secret 
mean, how can anyone who wants to call himself a journalist support what they what they did? It's absolutely you can't believe this going on in the United, in the United States. Absolutely not. We have about 45 seconds here before we go back to break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about your book and what you saw that went on. Uh, Chuck, you and I have talked about this topic a few times. And as I've told everybody, what I saw on the ground here in Arizona was the same thing I've been seeing on the ground for, for 10 years here. It's a ballot harvesting operation. It's illegal. It's but illegal, it's but they fraud. do it. Right. So let's talk about but, that when we come back from the break. But we also have Patrick and, and pretty convincing argument that there was other things. Broken Potholes. We'll be right back. It's the new year and time for a new you. You've thought about running for political office, but don't know where to start. Before you start any planning, you need to secure your name online with a yourname.vote web domain. This means your constituents will know they are learning about the real you when they surf the web. Secure your domain from GoDaddy.com today. The 2020 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2021. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from GoDaddy.com. Get yours now. We're back. Welcome to Broken Potholes with Chuck Warren and Sam Stone. Today, our special guest is Patrick Byrne, former CEO of Overstock.com, um, PhD in philosophy from Stanford. And you never thought that would lead to a, a distinguished business career. And he is the author of the book, The Deep Rig, How the Election Fraud Cost Donald J. Trump the White House by a Man Who Did Not Vote for Him. Patrick, welcome back. Great to be on with you again, Chuck. Let's talk, let's talk about your three main takeaways you feel from this book, what people should look at, and the things that cause you, um, that you view as red flags, and that these are things that people need to look at more, and the press is simply dismissing. We have talked a little bit, Sam, oh. in the past, is that Republicans were not prepared for this election. Democrats viewed this as life and death. We viewed it as like, a, like an election. And... We were not prepared, whether that's legally, whether having um, uh, voter watchers, things of that nature, we weren't prepared. So what are your three – what are three major takeaways or red flags you saw that you feel like really need to be investigated? Oh, well, here's the, here's the big one, and it's, people say, where's the evidence? The evidence is right in front of them if you, they just need to look at it a different way. Any political scientist in the country can tell you that to steal the national election, you don't need widespread voter fraud. You need to cheat like hell in six places, six counties. And those are, oh, I hope we don't get an FCC letter for that. But for uh, you need to cheat in six counties, Clark County, which is Las Vegas, Maricopa, which is Phoenix. Where are we at right Milwa now? Milwaukee, Detroit, Philly, and Atlanta. And the reason is those six cities... Ha share one uh, they share certain features they're the anchor cities of swing states so if you can cheat like hell in that one county you can flip the state by flipping the state six swing states you flip the electoral college by flipping that you flip the country so in some to steal the country you just need to really cheat like crazy in six cities 
And those six cities are the ones I just named. And what do you know? On November 3rd, on election night, this odd and unprecedented thing happened where essentially simultaneously voting was shut down in six cities in America. And what were they? They were Las Vegas, Phoenix, Milwaukee, Detroit, Philly, and Atlanta. How, what an odd coincidence. You know, allegedly they were shut down because, like, a, in, in, state, in Atlanta, in the great big stadium, State Farm Arena, a water pipe burst and they had to evacuate in the middle of counting. They forced everyone out of the building. Well, it turned out, you know, investigators later determined that a urinal had overflown in the boat basement. That was it. But, but in, and then in each of those six cities, while the vote counting was shut down and people and the observers were forced to leave and everyone was allegedly forced to leave, it turns out that they actually did continue counting. And what do you know? There were swings of 170,000 or 500,000 votes suddenly in, after everyone had been swept out of the building. And then it turns out that you have videos of people in Fulton County, when people were pulled out of there, you have videos of people pulling, you know, boxes of ballots out from under, hidden underneath desks, and taking them and running them through counting machines multiple times, generating probably several, you know, over 100,000 fake votes just there. And then in that case, the woman of one of the people who was in that video both made a public video and wrote online and social media a confession. Well, she said, yeah, we did this. My daughter and I do do this because we just knew we had to do the right thing and stop Donald Trump and this and that. That's why we did this. So, you know, you've got everything from the statistical outliers to the videos of the people doing it to the public confessions of the people who do it. And then the press says, yeah, but where's the evidence? It's it's surreal. So that happened in six in six cities had nothing to do with them, with people want to say, well, that's it. It has to do with race or something. It has nothing to do with race. Those six cities have this feature. They are the anchor cities of swing states. So if you cheat in just that very discreet place, that one county, you can in, in those six counties. If you cheat like crazy in those six counties, you can steal the whole country. Yeah. And that's what happened. Patrick, you know, I saw the video of the woman dragging that suitcase out in, in Fulton County, Atlanta. Um, and my assumption was exactly that, that you've got a suitcase, you dragged a suitcase full of blank ballots in and you're planning on deploying them at that point. But when you bring up the point about her bragging about it online, essentially confessing to it, that again is something nobody in the media has covered to the point I keep my ear to the ground. Chuck, did you know that? Well, no, you, you, you don't. And, you know, that's how the media does things. I mean, I just read a thing about this horrible um, mass m- murder in Atlanta with these um, massage parlors, mm-hmm. basically. And there was a day the experts saying, because the, 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 the murderer said, well, this wasn't based on race. And they said, well, he doesn't know what it was based on. Right. Right. So, I mean, I sort of feel like they take this woman's video like she doesn't know what she's talking oh, about. Oh, I, I saw you had the mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Lance Bottoms, coming out and saying, oh, no, no, this is not about what he says it is, not about what the actual perpetrator so, says you're, it you're, is. So you're supposed to take things at value for what people say, but we're not going to take this woman who said, I brought this suitcase in for a reason. I mean, right. that's just that's, that's the press disinformation. Right. Well, just like the guy at Fort Hood in Texas who was shouting Alhu Akbar as he shot a bunch of his colleagues on that army base. But now you can't, you can't infer from that, that what his motives were. On the other hand, if somebody, yeah, if somebody did say something that I did this, you know, because of, because of white, some white supremacist reason, 
you can be sure that the press would believe he knew his reasons for what a person died. Yeah, without it. Without a doubt. I'm sorry to cut you off. We have a couple more minutes in this segment, and I wanted to ask one kind of important question, I think, is how should have the Trump legal team have pursued this differently when all these things came up? What should, what could or should they, or could they have done anything differently that would have changed the outcome? Oh, it was an extraordinarily different approach. The truth is the Trump legal team, as it was, did not, I think they were actually compromised. There were some people on it who were quite weak and so disruptive, I think they may have been trying to scuttle any opposition. Their original plan was to file three formal objections in three states and then just let it slide. They really had no appetite for a fight. Only through the work of Sid and Powell, who was not really on the team, who, who was trying, and we were bringing her all this information, and she had some sources of her own, and she was bringing it to them. But they just pushed back totally. They didn't want any part of her, frankly. They did not want to fight for Trump at all. What they should have done, and we had a great solution. I described it in the book, and that was the president absolutely had the authority to send, based on executive orders that he signed and Obama signed, absolutely had the authority to, to, to declare, I find that there's been enough foreign interference in this election, we're going to look into it, send a federal force of some kind, be it the FBI, the DHS, the National Guard, the U.S. Marshals, send them to those six counties. Here's the point that everyone missed. These these systems were sold to us on the premise that there's always a paper ballot, there's always a backup, there's always a fail-safe. Well, let's hold them to it. Send the a federal group in to look at those six counties, open up the boxes, and count them on live stream TV. If the president would have been willing to do that, which he had the authority to do with no one's permission, uh, it could all have been over in two days. And this was, we were we had this plan by mid, mid-November, and we were saying, do this, and in two or three days we'll have the answer. I think that what he, and I've worked with a bunch of scientists who are keen in, in this area, and they say, they say he would have found 300 to 500,000 vote discrepancies in each of those counties. Well, that is, that is absolutely amazing. And, and Patrick, thank you for being on the show, because... I said, this is information. I keep my ear to the ground. You keep your ear to the ground. We haven't heard. Broken Potholes will be right back with Patrick Byrne. It's the new year and time for the new you. You've thought about running for political office, but don't know where to start. Before you start any planning, you need to secure your name online with a yourname.vote web domain. This means your constituents will know they are learning about the real you when they surf the web. Secure your domain from GoDaddy.com today. The political field is all about reputation, so don't let someone squash yours online. Secure your name and political future with a yourname.vote web address from GoDaddy.com. Your political career depends on it. Welcome back to Broken Potholes with Chuck Warren and Sam Stone. Our special guest today, Dr. Patrick Byrne, the author of The Deep Rig, How Election Fraud Cost Donald J. Trump the White House by a Man Who Did Not Vote For Him. Twice. Um, I added the twice there, per thinking. Patrick, what are, what are a couple things that you feel our audience and voters should question about this election and challenge them to dig into it themselves? 
Okay. Well, the first thing is the stopping of the counting on election night. That's not just weird. The fact that it happened in precisely the six cities it had to, you know, did the water pipes know which cities to break in? Those six cities are the ones any poli-sci professor can tell you are the six cities where you would rig an election. And what do you know? In all six cities, something weird happened and they had to stop counting. That's a big tip-off. Secondly, adjudication. When you go and vote and you slide your ballot in, if the machine has trouble reading it, it pops it into another channel and humans are supposed to look at it later and decide and figure out who you were trying to vote for. That's called adjudication. The standard is well under 1% of ballots should have to be adjudicated. In Maricopa County, the number, I don't think this is out in the public yet. I'll give you something uh, that's not in the public. In Maricopa County, my understanding now is that it was 11%, 230,000 ballots on 2.1 million. So it's 11% of people who went in and voted, unknown to them, their vote did not register through the machines. And essentially they gave their proxy to somebody who was working in that precinct, be it a Ruby Friedman, somebody like that. Patrick, my understanding is what you're telling us is correct. And I've talked to folks here that say that is correct, that 11%. But that has never once been reported in the local media here. I don't think anybody is aware that one out of 10 ballots, essentially, someone in that office made a decision who you voted for. Yeah, you gave your proxy to a stranger. And then here's the worst part of that. What we, what people didn't know is these machines have the capability that it, you know, it isn't necessarily the case that some human sat later and looked at your ballot and decided, you know, they, they could have looked at it and been cheats and just said, no matter what you voted, I, I'd make this for Biden. But it may even be worse than that. These machines have the capability. Suppose there's a thousand ballots built up from some precinct that need to be adjudicated. The precinct administrator has the power to just come by and with a mouse drag and drop that stack of a thousand ballots waiting to be adjudicated. He just drag and drop them into the Joe Biden folder. And you just created a thousand Joe Biden votes. So those, those people who thought they're if they de- even were aware that their votes would be adjudicated, they probably thought some human's going to look at it later and try to do the right thing. Turns out that you have the, that the it, every low-level precinct administrator has the ability to just drag and drop, you know, a thousand ballots at a time, which is why you see these crazy spikes of that's, that's, you know, 864 straight Biden votes, which would never happen in nature, no, no matter where you are. Patrick, and this so is there's stunning. So many irregularities. Th- so this is stunning. I mean, really. When you look at this, I had no idea that was possible with these systems. I Did thought you know they... that in, uh, in Atlanta, one of the election administrators admitted publicly in one area of 109,000 votes, 103,000 got adjudicated. So roughly 93%-ish <laughs> or 94 got adjudicated. So 94% of the people who voted thought they voted. They gave their votes to Ruby Freeman or one of her colleagues to decide who they wanted. So we said, yeah, it is stunning. It's beyond belief. America is about, our brand is elections. It's what we stand for to the world. And yet in our, our, our elections, these kinds of things happen that you would not accept in a Bolivian election. I mean, we'd be laughing if Bolivia ran their elections this way. We'd be saying, what a third, you know, what a third world silly place. And yet it's happened in America. Well, and interestingly, and the, the machines that we ended up using a lot in these elections have been used in some pretty questionable elections in places 
like Bolivia. Oh, oh, Philippines, Serbia. Uh, there were a couple African countries. There have been election over the last five years. There have been all kinds of election scandals around the world where these machines are used. It's basically whenever one. It looks to me like when goons get in power, what they do is they bring in these election these machines because they know they can lock in their their if they rig they can lock in a rig for the next election. Yeah, it is. It's amazing when people start hearing even eleven percent. Is that is that shocking to you that eleven percent of voters in Maricopa gave their had their votes adjudicated? Patrick, that, that is be, right? beyond stunning to me. I mean, I had no idea. I, I am as connected as anybody here in the Phoenix area. I had no idea that occurred, and the fact that it hasn't been made a big issue is is astounding. It, it shows you again how bad our press is. We were so we were up in Antrim, Michigan, or some cyber guys I was working with went up to that Antrim Antrim County event. And you know, one thing that would be great would be to get a hold of the Maricopa machine and look. Even yep. those Patrick, I have to cut you off. Broken potholes. We'll be right back. I want you to continue that thought. The 2020 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2021. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote domain from GoDaddy. Get yours now. Welcome back to Broken Potholes with my distinguished co-host, Sam Stone. I'm Chuck Warren. Today we have with us Dr. Patrick Byrne, the author of The Deep Rig, How the Election Fraud Cost Donald J. Trump the White House by a man who did not vote for him. You can find that on Amazon.com. It's a top 40 bestseller, even though they keep trying to hide it. Um, it's there. Go get it. You can get it on Kindle. And it's a great read, and it'll cause you to open your mind a little bit, think about things a little bit, and look at it yourself. Patrick, we were talking about Michigan. Let's get you back to your train of thought about that. Then after that, why don't you tell us what you think is going to happen with these um, Dominion lawsuits of you know billions of dollars they're trying to get from people. Okay. Well, uh, let's see. That's a bunch of questions at once. I, let me just say, what, where do you want me to start again? Start with again? the Michigan. You're telling the Michigan story. You're going up to Antrim. and yeah. Antrim. Michigan turned out, Antrim, Michigan, which had a five or 6,000 error, which they tried to put down to a clerical error, which we discovered and such. Uh, we, when we got up there, we discovered, or my colleagues, they discovered that the audit logs on these machines had been erased on November 4th at 11 p.m. Now, this, these machines have audit logs that, first of all, the precinct manager can edit. What does, that <laughs> defeats the whole point of an audit log. Secondly, they erased it on the night of November 4th. They had the, the machines had the audit logs from the November 16 election, the 2018 election, but they erased it from the 2020 election. I'd love to see the audit logs if we ever get access to Maricopa, because we're going to find out if there was 11% that got adjudicated, you know, how many actually were just drag and drop and things like that. So there's all kinds of things. things uh, well, Michigan, Mich- Michigan's craziness on a small scale in Antrim County, we're, we're going to discover in, Mich- in, uh, in Bolton County, Georgia, and in Phoenix and everywhere else. Um, my recommendation to people is you have to get involved in the actual mechanics of the election. 
you can either get a four-hour training course in most places, which lets you be a polling observer, but that's not enough. What the goon left does, the union goon left, is they send people to the two days of training. And after two days of training, you actually work in the precinct. And so the precincts are overwhelmingly staffed by, I'd say, left-wing Democrats who have taken the two days training. So you have a group of Ruby Freemans running your, your election machinery, your, your counting and all that stuff. Patrick, yeah. if I can jump in and, and kind of add to that point real quickly, one of the things I work with the city of Phoenix, and one of the things that we do is we have release time here. Uh, which allows union members who are paid by the public to work pr- entirely on union duties. When it comes to elections, those union release time members are the ones who go down and get that two-day training. Yeah. And their selected members are given additional release time to go down and do that training. So you actually have the public. This is really kind of nefarious. You, you have the public paying for these folks to go in and be able to put their thumb on the scales of an election. We're paying them to go steal our election. Yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. I, I've run into groups over the last few months with names like Bikers for Trump. And it's a bunch of big, burly guys who are patriotic Americans. And and I think guys like that, because we've seen these videos of in the polling stations, how the goons try to intimidate observers and they push people around and they, you know, they gang up on some little lady who's just trying to be a good citizen and observe and they gang up and shout at her and stuff like this. We have to send bikers in next time. People aren't going to be intimidated. Not that we want fights. We want we're the nonviolence. We're they're the goons. We're the we're the nonviolent people. We have to send people in to get training who are not going to be intimidated just because they have a few people shouting in their face and who are going to work in the precinct. So it's not a bunch of left wing, you know, social justice warriors doing the operating the vote of the election because we know that what we know what they've done. That, that that is absolutely key. We, we I think we have a seventy percent chance if we can make it twenty months. What's going to happen is there's going to be a landslide. Americans have seen their true colors of the left. They're going to there's going to be a landslide against them. So we have twenty months that we have to hold out. But by then we have to have an army of people who go and work in the precincts, especially in swing states, and prevent there from being any nonsense taking place, and who don't get intimidated by. These, these nobodies. Uh, conservative it, it, linebackers out there, we need you to exactly. show up. So, as, <laughs> right. as we as we as we wrap up here, you wrote there's three things that public needs to do next. First of all, is don't panic. Number two, remain nonviolent, which is very important. Are these rascals who stormed the Capitol on January 6th did not help anything, and they are destructive. Absolutely, and they are just—they need to be punished to the fullest under the law. They did not help the situation at all. And number three, you said focus your political attention and efforts on election integrity. No matter what else you do, um, this is first and foremost the most important thing. Is there anything you want to add as we wrap up here? No, that was a great summary. Better than better than I could have done myself, Jack. Thank you. Patrick, my friend, thank you for being on and joining us today. We've, we've enjoyed your time, and let's have you on again soon. Absolutely mind-blowing information. Keep fighting the good fight, gentlemen. Thanks, buddy. Thank Appreciate you. it. Wow, Chuck, that, that was a great conversation. He's bringing up all sorts of stuff I had no idea you about. Need to look, you need to look into that, and let's report back on it. Yeah. I, some of that stuff I had not heard. Uh, we maybe, you know, we need to talk to some of our friends within the county recorder's office and find out what those are and get some... Yeah, you know, there's there's always a tendency in government. I think people misunderstand when you're outside of the system that you know people think politicians run the show. 
Oh, yeah. No, bureaucracy I, runs the show. Bureaucracy, yeah. I mean, it's a, what people don't understand is when Congress passes a law, that's great, they pass a law, but it's a bureaucrat who's been there for 20 years who ends up writing the law. And interpreting it. Interpreting and how it's the regulations. Be, yeah. It's another thing. Well, let's go to something positive. <laughs> So we didn't open with our sunshine moment music, but we still have our sunshine moment. Maybe, maybe we can all hum it. Oh, ah, there it is. No one wanted to hear us hum it. That's sad. <laughs> Chuck, no one wants to hear any of us hum anything. No. no. Well, when I came across this story, it actually it made me smile because it reminded me of my own grandma who um, actually listens to this show now. Oh, yay. <laughs> but so, so our listenership is up to two, your yeah, grandmother, three, my three, father? Three, three, three. three. Oh, okay, good. Uh, but she often says age is just a number. And I know if she could, she'd be working today. She, she's a nurse. She loved her job. Um, but the story is there was a police officer in southern Arkansas um, who has no plans to retire. He's 91 years old. Uh, he's the oldest officer in the state. And he said he'll retire when the good Lord tells him to. And... Uh, he was actually, his name is L.C. Smith, but he likes to go by Buckshot. <laughs> I love that. And he, he grew up in Camden, Arkansas, and uh, he was a sheriff's deputy there for 46 years. And he did retire for five months and said that uh, he had no fun in those five months. He missed his job. Uh, he doesn't hunt. He doesn't fish. And he was like, I just want to get back to work. So he uh, was a rookie cop now for Camden. Arkansas, and he uh, plans on rolling and patrolling, is what he says. And, and the mayor said that his best weapon um, is that he knows your mother and he knows your grandmother. <laughs> so he actually takes more people home than he does to jail because he, he has that relationship and he built respect of the people of the town. To That is really amazing. You know, I grew up in a small town and we had that kind of relationship with the police. Right. You know, I, I remember actually one time my father ran a stop sign and T-boned a police cruiser. Oh, my goodness. And the cop got out of the car and comes over to him and goes, oh, Marty, this is you got to be more careful. Can you pay for it? OK, we're good. And you're on your way. That's a very, you know, honestly, it's too bad we cannot get back to more of that type of policing and what this guy's doing. And when you know the people in your community it changes everything. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It changes everything. We had a cop here who was actually the cop in the Miranda Law case that created the Miranda really? Law. Yeah, it, it, George, and I, I'm blanking on his last name, and pardon me for, for that, but you know, he, he was one of those guys who was deeply embedded. He had served here for 60-some years. He was deeply embedded in the South Phoenix community. He knew everyone there, and and he got into this case basically because when he walked into a bar and bought some marijuana off, off a guy, he didn't give them the warning that he was a he was a cop. And he was, as he told us the story, he was laughing because he said everyone in there knew me and they knew I was a cop. <laughs> that, that guy was that just institutional, that, that institutional knowledge, that community knowledge, um, really helps just not with policing but all aspects of service. I mean, that's why you Huge. find great pastors who've been there for years and how they have such an influence. They know the history. They know the, the trials, the tribulations, the jubilation. And um, we're missing that a lot in government and community service. It's the one thing I hate seeing about um, you often see a lot on nonprofit boards because the money's become so good for those on top that they mm -hmm. switch jobs. But you need them to stay because they know 
um, the people. They know the purpose. And um, I know that goes against all MBA-type classes that you need to change up leadership to get new excitement in. But there is something to be said about knowledge. There's also something to be said about not retiring. Yeah. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think full retirement's a good thing for people. I actually think in in the really rare case when you're someone who has completely filled your life with hobbies, it works. If if, if, if. but you're but you're being action oriented. Yeah, but otherwise, I think it's a terrible idea. My father's tried to retire three times. He's awful at retiring. He's great at working. So well, he's he was ninety three and he, still working. He was successful, right? It's yeah. the other ways. That, um, the LDS Church has all these great missionary programs that seniors do all the time. There's a there's a couple in my neighborhood that's been on four missions. You know, and they it keeps them active. It keeps them young. They're in great health, and it's because they have a purpose. And yeah. people need a purpose. That's one thing that concerns me about um, the the high school, or especially through this pandemic. What is their purpose right I, now? It's a huge issue. I watched a few years ago, and this was before the pandemic. Uh, one of my neighbors, an elderly gentleman who became increasingly isolated and cut off, didn't have a lot of family. Uh, the, you know, they kind of all passed away, really didn't have many connections. And when I first met him, he was a very vibrant man. And within two, three years, his mental health deteriorated right. because of that isolation and that inactivity to the point that he, he was going out and seeing, you know, the face of God in, in gravel, pieces of gravel from the driveway and, and cleaning them and turning them into shrines obsessively all day. Really kind of scary behavior. And this has been a very stable guy. It's really important. Folks, if you're out there, you got, you know, your parents, your grandparents, keep them active. Keep them engaged. If you're that age, stay engaged. Exactly. You know, speaking of singing, since no one wanted me to hum, you are my sunshine. When my dad first got married, he was in a church Christmas play. And it happened to be everybody sang their part. And my dad told the very... um, very strict director, this woman, that I, I don't sing well. And she said, oh, everybody can sing. Everybody can sing. After one rehearsal, she said, Brother Warren, I think you should talk your part. <laughs> <laughs> and I have, I have inherited those genes. My, my, my <laughs> kindergarten music teacher told me just to lip sync at the Christmas play. <laughs> um, so what is our big takeaway from today? Well, I mean, my takeaway is that, and you and I have talked about this, I don't, I have not subscribed to the theory that there was significant election fraud. Yeah, I haven't either. But I can't, I, I cannot, I, I cannot have an informed opinion on the machine side of it, on the electronic side of it, because I'm not technically based enough to do that. Right. Patrick is. Patrick Byrne is someone who is deeply ingrained in the tech community. He does know this stuff. And so... You know, he brought up some things we hadn't heard. Pretty no. eye-opening. And it's really interesting that a voice like that is being shut down the way it is. Well, I remember during, you know, he does want to call it naked shorting, but we'll call it that. I remember being part of that battle, and I remember him just becoming this pariah and, you know, shutting things down. In 2008, you didn't have the social media attention you have today, right? So mm-hmm. you couldn't have Twitter suspend you and so forth, which they've done to him now. Um, I'm convinced they would have done the same thing then. And what concerns me, look, there's two things that really concern me about this election. Um, one is I, I think the press has failed miserably. They, they have not approached this yeah. as an open mind. Now, look, if they approached it with an open mind and really investigated it, 
let the facts lay where the facts lay. Right? Absolutely. I mean, frankly, I don't want to. I don't want the election to be stolen. No, I'd I, like a good investigation yeah, to show it. Yeah, it was know, clean. And two, I, I feel the Republican Party failed a lot at this. They were not prepared for it. We. For example, Wait, on ballot harvesting. the story of a decade at this yeah, point, as much it? as we hate ballot harvesting, prepare for it. You know what's happening. Do it. They're they do doing it. it. we got to catch up. Absolutely. Broken Potholes will be back next week. Have a great week, folks.